Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Conversations with Creative Vagabonds, Thinkers, and Innovators. This is the place where great minds come to chat, and I am your host, Sandra Lee Schubert, and welcome to the show. Well, hi there, everybody. This is Sandra Schubert, and I am live on the radio, but I can't get to my dashboard. So I have to ask if my guest is listening that I am trying to get onto the dashboard, but it is telling me that it is busy, so I can't see a thing. So I'm having lots of fun with two shows in a row that are kind of just being funky and strange. So Give me a moment, and um, I want to say talk amongst yourselves while I see if I can get in. It's kind of just fun working with this, but give me a moment, and I will be right back with you. I can't even play any music for you, sadly, so there you go. But hold on a second, and I'll try to be right back with you. Hold on, guys. I'm still trying to get us on, but the server, it says the server is busy. So hang on, and I'll be right with you. Hey there, guys. Still trying to get on. I cannot get on at all. So, Dan, if you're still listening, hang on, and we'll get to you in a second. Give me another moment, and I'll be right with you.
Hey, Dan, can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? I can. I am sorry about that. I could not get the switchboard to open up. It was doing fine, and when the show went live, the server went busy, and I could not get us online. So I apologize to everybody for that delay. But thank you for for being here and waiting patiently. And let I would like to properly introduce my guest, who's been waiting for a good 10 minutes, Dr. Dan Newharth specializes in helping couples create more fulfilling relationships. He also presents workshops on coping with narcissists and other types of difficult people. He's the author of If You Had Controlling Parents, How to Make Peace with Your your Past and Take Your Place in the World. Sorry, I messed that up a little bit. And Secrets You Keep from Yourself, How to Stop Sabotaging Your Happiness. Now, today... What we're going to talk about, we'll have to cut a tiny bit short, but we have plenty of time. Um, we are living in a digital world, and we interact with each other through our phones, for texting, we text love notes instead of giving flowers, and we used to gather around the TV on family night, and now we sit together with the glow of our devices lighting our faces. How do we create intimacy in the digital world, and what defines friendship in a virtual world? So Dan is sort of my guest today to sort of help us navigate this world. Even though social media and the digital world has been around for a while, it seems to be kind of changing the landscape of how we interact. So Dan, why why don't you tell us a little bit about what your work is in the world so people know who you are? Well, I'm a a therapist and a writer, obviously, and very, very interested and passionate about relationships and improving the quality of relationships. And, you know, the whole um, technology in the digital world is changing things, and it may be changing us, but I don't think we know exactly how yet. And I think that it can be helpful and hurtful in relationships. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about. Um, um, I guess because we we were going, we sort of were going to talk about some of the darker side of relationships. But why don't we move that up a little further and um, a little quicker than we had planned? And and I've been reading about Anthony Weiner and texting. So. You know, for people who know he was a congressman in New York, you know, he had a sort of scandal a couple of years ago about sending some fairly graphic photos across Twitter. And then he had a relapse, and now again he seems to have another, I guess, relapse, if you want to call it. Um, I mean, sexting is great among consenting adults. I guess it's a form of whatever it's a form of. But when does it get to be a something that's not sort of a good thing. I mean, obviously, as a married man, being in a a digital kind of conversation with another woman that's not your wife is probably not best for your marriage unless you sort of agreed to that. So I understand sexting's not in the uh, DMA, but it's considered an Internet addiction in some other parts of the world. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that might affect our relationship? You know, I think it's a problem when either it hurts someone or it takes energy that really belongs 
in an intimate relationship out to go somewhere else. And, um, you know, those are, those are the hallmarks. Um, you know, I remember, I'm sure I'm dating myself, but, you know, decades ago, phone sex was a big thing. And, um, there, you know, different technology, same issue. The di- difference with that is there's no record and no one can tweet it. And um, so I think mistakes we make and, and what we do today can be so amplified because of the social media. But, I mean, bottom line, there's nothing bad about the technology. It's how we use it. And obviously people, you know, based on what I read, people have been hurt by um, former Congressman Weiner's transgressions. And if you have a relationship where the understanding and the agreement and the promise is that you're a monogamous, intimate relationship, anything you do to go outside of that is a, it causes problems. Now, I know you can't diagnose him directly, but um, um, when somebody sort of uh, repeats this kind of behavior, I mean, you talk, you know, some of your work is with narcissists and I guess sociopaths and all that. Would something like this kind of behavior fall under being a narcissist or does it fall under some other kind of behavior, with, obviously, without being able to diagnose? Mr. Weiner directly, but where does that fall in sort of psychological behavior? Um, you know, I don't know how to... Uh, uh, there's so much I don't know about it, not having ever met met him. Clearly, I think it would fall into, just from observation, uh, less of a clinical term, but just a common, everyday self-sabotaging behavior. And <laughs> You know, I mean, that was the second book I wrote, Secrets You Keep From Yourself, which is about how we sabotage ourselves and we get in our own way. And, you know, it's it's complex, the reasons we do that, and they're very individualized. So, we, so we're in this, this world of social media. So some of the behaviors that we bring to social media as with sexting and having phone sex or what whatnot – some of those behaviors just translate themselves into whatever new, you know, format there is out there. But does the behavior change because of the format, or does it heighten it? Does it? I mean, I mean, I know we're really new about this, but is it really any different, or is it just the same old thing in a new package? I guess that's what I'm trying to find out. I think that there's a difference, I guess, probably in the intensity. I mean, there is something um, very uh, compelling about technology in that you press a key or press a button and you get an instant result. And sometimes that instant result is... um, out for the world to see and then you can see how many people give you a thumbs up or a like or sometimes it's you send a message and you get an instant result so it's it's a, it's a very 
uh, one of the reasons technology is so popular is it's so gratifying. Um, and but the question then is, what is it gratifying? Is it gratifying um, a healthy need to and desire to connect with people, to be closer? That's a great thing. Is it gratifying a need to um, avoid a sense of emptiness within by um, getting all sorts of attention and not really looking at, at deeper issues? Then that's probably an unhealthy thing. Right. So if you have, um, uh, so I guess I, I'm trying to figure out where that distinction sort of is. Now, if you have just generally have relationship issues and you kind of walk into the virtual world, whether it's through Facebook or something like Second Life or any of these kinds of avenues, and you create relationships there and they feel good or they feel like they're real, how would you just sort of as a person who may have some relationships in real life, would you be able to distinguish that you still have issues within these realms, or does the sort of the separation of, of direct contact make it feel like it's a healthy relationship? You know, I was reading a, an interesting study uh, a couple of days ago about um, people who are in relationships who uh, include their significant other in their profile picture on Facebook and list their relationship status as in, in a relationship versus people who are in relationships who don't. And the finding from a couple of studies was that people who do, um, you know, prominently display their loved one and, and their relationship status tend to have longer lasting relationships and are less likely to break up. And, you know, is that a reflection of what would happen anyway in the relationship? Or is there something about actually posting your status and prominently featuring, featuring your loved one that influences the relationship? And I, I guess I don't know for sure, but my feeling is that in some way it does reinforce, you know, your it's like when you first start going out with someone and you then take the step of introducing them to a first friend or then your best friend or a circle of friends. You, you have more skin in the game, so to speak. You, you know, it's, you've got more at stake. That person's more integrated in your life. And I think that same thing probably happens with, with displays with Facebook. Right. Now, I guess, so if somebody has... I don't want to say fake profiles, but maybe has, because I, I want to talk about catfishing, and I think that's a different category than what I'm trying to get to. So if somebody creates a profile that's not their real name, and they kind of operate under this, this pseudonym online, and they're in a relationship in real life, but in this pseudonym, they are not expressing their relationship. And um, so people who are interacting with them don't know who they are sort of in real life. And I, I guess I, I'm wondering, is that person thinking they're protecting their real life by a pseudonym? Are they, you know, are they 
being deceptive. You know, it's it's so hard to kind of figure out where people are in this when they're not completely above board. Like I, I understand some people don't want to give out information, want to be private, and that's reasonable. But when somebody sort of creates a profile that somebody can't get past and, and operates with that person thinking that's kind of it, I, I you know, is there a motivation that's, I don't want to say more sinister, but I guess I'm trying to figure out why some people would do that as opposed to just saying, well, I'm not going to talk about my wife because that's private and that's our, our agreement. Do you, does that make sense what I'm trying to get to on that? I'm not yeah, sure if I'm being clear about that. No, no, I, I think so. I think the motivations vary. I mean, the, the online dating sites um, definitely have people who are, I mean, you use the term catfishing, where they're, they're, you know, it's a completely made-up persona, not the same picture or details, nothing about them or very little about them is true, and this is who they present in the world to try and draw people in. Now, I don't know what they're thinking if they have a picture that doesn't even look like them because the minute you meet them, <laughs> <laughs> the, the cover's blown. Right. But, um, you know, there are legitimate reasons for um, limiting what you disclose in uh, in social media or even dating sites, but that's to a different end. I mean, one of the things as a therapist, there's a debate in the therapeutic community for therapists who are single you know, if should you go online? Because what if clients see you, and does that complicate the treatment? And um, um, and if so, what should you disclose and not disclose? Because a, a potential client or a client could see all sorts of things about you that they wouldn't know otherwise. And there's there's two sides to that. So so in general, like. In, and I want to use the word, word in the real world just to mean as a face-to-face contact and, and I'm not dismissing the virtual world as not being real. But So if you, you meet somebody, anyone at, you know, at work or, you know, and you, you develop an acquaintance with them or you, you're friendly with them, but, you know, you maybe you go out to lunch at work or maybe for drinks afterwards, but you, you don't have more connection. So that's a kind of relationship. And then when you get to the social media world, whatever form that takes, whether it's like Second Life or Facebook or whatever that form is, and you present your image and you, you, you know, interact with people, do you, is there a difference between that sort of on-the-job sort of casual relationship? Do you... Have you seen that people see that differently than their acquaintance relationship? Uh, you know, are people sort of viewing, you know, the people that they get touch, see, and feel differently than the people that they sort of connect with online? I mean, I think that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that, <laughs> I mean, logically you would think, sure, it's different, but... Uh, you know, something takes over when you're on online, and whether it's a chat or a, a, you know messaging or texting, that you are in contact with the person, in connection with the person in a certain way. It's different when they're they're in 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 the flesh, but 
you know, I, th- I just think it's a complex question. And, you know, the, the flip side is, you, you know, you go out and you see couples or groups of people at a restaurant and everyone's on their phone and no one's interacting. Right. And, so it's, uh, it's changing this landscape of how we interact and how we might view relationships, do you think? I think it does. I think uh, potentially, and I think, again, for good and for ill. I think that both are are part of it. So as a so when you're interacting with somebody, and uh, um, I know I know for myself, and I and I, I can see how this influences me. And I I sort of I've looked at some of my relationships as sort of like pen pal relationships where you you have a certain intimacy that's expressed in letters, but it's you you know they're not. They don't have skin in the game with you every day. You know, they're not picking you up or, you know, taking care of you when you're, you need them or they're not, you know, they're, they're not sort of there day to day. So I sort of look at some of these relationships that I have on Facebook like that. So they're really pleasant. They're nice. They're whatever. But then there's the level where you're sort of interacting with somebody and, and there is that immediacy, which is kind of different than pen pal, which you have to wait for post, postal mail to come through. So there's an immediacy that happens when somebody's sort of chatting you up on Facebook, you know, and you're in a private chat that feels more intimate and real because it's so immediate. And I, I think, I know at least for me, that sometimes that gets confusing because it feels more real and intimate because it is so immediate. So it, it feels like you're having this kind of direct contact it, and I, I think that gets confusing for people. So, I mean, in normal situations, you have visual co- cues from people that you can sort of use, whether you use it consciously or not, about what's going on with a person. But in this kind of environment, you miss out on those visual cues. So you, whatever that, that interchange is feels like the real thing. So how do people sort of, take care of themselves in that situation well i think just as you say you're recognizing that you're missing the visual cues and so you know our brains tend to fill in um you know connect the dots and the less um the less information you have the more potential you have for um you know filling in the dots in ways that are not accurate and so there are a lot of assumptions and potential misinterpretations and projections um, that I think can happen with uh, interactions that are not face-to-face. And then you add to, to it what, what you mentioned, what I was talking about earlier about the intensity, and um, it's kind of a, a soup for... Um, for misinterpretations and and um and false assumptions you know i mean um texting is i mean even with uh with emojis it's so easy to misinterpret what someone's saying and texting is great for you know quick messages or or exchange of information email is great for exchange of information um but it's you know, it doesn't have context 
and so I think when you say how do you protect yourself, is just to be aware that you, there's a lot you don't know. Right. And I guess, you know, you know, I know that there are people who, you know, try to hit emojis, they'll get a heart emoji and go, well, wait, what does that mean? And you're kind of like, right. well, like maybe they, you know, it's like, maybe they were just like, oh, I don't know, that's sweet, or I that was, you know, it's like people start interpreting these kind of, these symbols as something much more than they're meant to be, at least maybe for the person on the other side. And it seems like it gets a little, it gets a little complicated and messy because you start adding a layer of interaction that might not necessarily be there because as you said, you're just getting an emoji and that's not really, that person isn't saying, I love you. They're just sending, giving you a heart, which could mean, anything you know in the entire world but may not mean that person loves you and so you you might you find yourself going down a road that might not be the road the person at the other end is going down with you right and and to be fair even in um, face-to-face conversations there's so much uh, room for confusion you know someone could say i love you and then Later, you're talking to your best friend and, you know, saying, well, but, but, you know, how did he mean it or how did she mean it? I mean, it's like, really love or love, love. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's really about communication and um, taking the time to, so, to slow down and make sure you're understanding what the other person's saying, that they're understanding you. And I think that's harder through the limitations of technology. Technology. Now, do you think that technology, at least in the format form that it is now, is 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 I don't want to say making people lazy, but maybe giving them a an out so that they don't have to sort of really dive deeper into a, a, a friendship or whatever with a person. It sort of gives them a. It sort of feels good, but it kind of, you know, it it provides a, a, a filter that they don't have to sort of confront the possibility of it not being a deeper relationship. Well, I think that's one of the points raised, and um, and some research for millennials and younger, in that uh, because uh, of being the first generation to grow up exclusively with technology, there was no before and after. Um, <laughs> that that. Uh, social interactions, workplace interactions uh, may be um, a little different, a little more two-dimensional, and yet then there are other things that people who grew up on technology are are really good at that are helpful that, um, Mm -hmm. that older people don't have. So... I don't, I mean, I think the jury's just not in. And again, these are trends and generalities and everyone's different. Right, and it gets a little, it's it's hard, it's sort of hard to tell, you know, down the road how this is all going to affect us as a society. At, but at the moment, we sort of are in it and we, we have to sort of deal with this interaction and and navigate our way through it. Can we talk a little bit, sort of, a little bit more about sort of the dark side? So we talked about sexting and and sexting in terms of it being a violation of maybe your your relationship. But 
you work with nar- you, I don't want to say you work with narcissists, but you've done work around narcissists and sociopaths and catfishing and, and all those kinds of things. So, how do people who sort of lean towards that behavior does the social media world or digital world give them a better platform in which to manifest that behavior, or does it not make a difference? I think it gives potentially greater reach. You know, anyone can be a um, uh, a worldwide sensation uh, with the right YouTube video or, or tweet or something if they hit it right at the right time and have that fleeting moment. So, again, everything's magnified. Um, I don't know that there's any... And, and, and again, the intensity and the rewards and, like, how many followers do I have and uh, that sort of thing, when you're constantly checking that, can be a reflection of, of a self-centered uh, approach and reinforce that. So what, I guess, I guess the, then where does it, um, just speaking to the dangerous part of, of all this, where does it get dangerous online for people? Where does, where is that line that's crossed or do we know what that line is crossed? I mean, we know cyber bullying, that kind of thing. But where would that line be crossed for for people where they kind of move from, well, I'm just being, you know, self-aggrandizing, but now I've gone into something else that's kind of dark and mysterious or dangerous? Again, I think it's if someone's getting hurt or taken advantage of. And that's the... well, can you, I mean, can you, like the kind of things like gaslighting and that kind of thing, I don't know when gaslighting falls under narcissist or sociopath or under both. So is is that kind of behavior where somebody gaslights somebody, and, and, and maybe you could explain that a little bit for people, is that behavior possible through the virtual world? I guess it is. It's all how they interact with the person, right? Right. And, I mean, gaslighting is when you essentially uh, make someone doubt themselves by uh, doing doing things that make them think they're going crazy, uh, have them question things, uh, their own perceptions. And that's a, a technique of manipulation because if you're, uh, say, a sociopath or if you're a manipulative person, your enemy is someone seeing what you're doing because in the light of day when you actually see how sociopaths work or how narcissists work to take advantage of other people it loses its power because then you can walk away or you have the choice to walk away but if you don't see it then it's much more easily easy to be manipulated so gaslighting anything that will distract from what the the narcissist or sociopath is doing and make you questioning yourself gives them more power and to your question does you know how does how does technology and the media play into that Uh, um i think it's just a tool i mean that can be done one-on-one in a in a house completely off the grid and it can but but there are certain pressures um you know, one of the things, one of the ways that 
like in relationships, um, people will try and manipulate is they will go to that the either friends that the couple has or even that person's friends and start trying to ally and and influence that person's friends against them. Uh, and if you don't have it, it, with Facebook or other media, you can do it a lot quicker than if you have to, you know, pick up the phone and call them or meet them. And that's very powerful. You know, when you have um, your friends start to question you because they're right. um, influenced by someone who's already manipulating you, it's it's a it's a it's a tough situation. It's a it is it is a tough situation. I had. I had somebody in my life that was very friendly on Facebook and inviting me to events. And then when I'd show up and at the events, he'd go, why are you at these events? And um, I was working as a social media manager. So I did a lot of promoting and I promoted friends. And he started to tell people that I was a stalker. And he pointed to how I use social media as the proof of that. And for people who weren't really that experienced with social media or what I did as a social media manager, they could look at that and go, oh, yeah, you know, she's always promoting this. So she's always talking about that person. She's doing that. So, you know, here I'm getting this kind of conversation that's kind of friendly and like, hey, show up. And then at the other side, he's kind of going through my Facebook profile and, and pointing out stuff and, and, and making people believe that I was indeed you know, something that I wasn't based on what he, and he really just sort of thought that. Like he, he you know, when I, I said, oh, I, well, I saw your photo on Facebook, and he was like, well, you looked at my photos, and you're kind of like, well, they're on Facebook. You know, so, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like they're, they're there. Of course I looked at them. You know, it's sort of like that uh, idea was that, you know, this thing is public, but somehow some people don't look at this public thing. And then how he, he used that against me. And it was kind of interesting to observe that. It was not very comfortable for me in, to, to have that happen because it ruined a lot of my relationships in, in the place where I lived because people believed him because right. he could point to evidence online that seemed true to them without sort of vetting it more in detail. So, People can use this media, obviously, in ways that are, are destructive, and it certainly was not fun for, for me. But also there's an, a lack of understanding sometimes of how the media works that then sort of makes people think about you differently because they, they, you may be more sophisticated in how you use the media than they are. And so they look at it differently, and it creates some confusion for people because they think you're being this way, but you're just sort of like, you know, you know, used to marketing and using the media that way. You know, know, so it gets a little complicated for how people interact and how they see each other because some people understand this new format and some people just don't get it at all. Right. And, uh, you know, as a, as an expert in, in social media as you are, you know that it is a lot easier to damage a reputation than to build one. And even it doesn't even have to be true to have a reputation damaged. And that situation you um, you talked about, it's like someone stands out in the middle of Times Square naked and then, you know, looks at other people and say, what are you doing, stalking me? 
is it's the same sort of thing. It's ludicrous. And one of the things that is a real giveaway of um, manipulative people is that they will accuse you of essentially doing what they're doing. So, for example, Donald Trump calls Hillary Clinton a bigot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, that's backwards. If you look at all sorts of things Trump has done, it seems that he has a racism problem, not her. But, you know, on a on a more individual level, someone people often people who, you know, if they're if they're lying, they'll say, "Oh, you're a liar." Or if they're cheating on you, they'll suspect you of cheating or and they'll label and and it and it and it puts people on the defensive because you don't think you're doing it, but then a, a normal person's going to at least, well, if this person thinks that, maybe maybe I am, and, and then all the attention's off them, and, and you, it's like the Wizard of Oz, you know, paying right. no attention to that man behind the curtain. Right. And then I guess, you know, if you're not, you know, if you aren't aware of behaviors or or, or how people can operate, you know, it can get really frustrating. I mean, for me, it was very hard to deal with this person because I had to sit there in the middle of the street with him screaming at me and sticking his finger in my chest and saying, you know, you act with the wrong person. I haven't, I'm going to put an order of protection against you and I'm going to do this. And I've talked to your priest and they know all about you. And, you know, and you're kind of like, what? You know? <laughs> and, you know, if you kind of don't sort of go, wait a second, this guy is nuts. At that moment, you know my my clinical interpretation. You know, then if you you think, wait, I've done something, or you you know, it can it can be really damaging to you. I mean, it certainly was not good for me, but I could look back at it and say, oh wait, this is what happened. This is right. what these are the behaviors that came into play, and this and and I could see really how I was set up. Unfortunately, I couldn't see it in the in the moment. But I could see it later on, and I could say, okay, yeah, this really sucks for me because some people are just going to believe it. But I know what's going on, and I just, you know, I just get to operate the way I operate and and vet people a little better, you know. Right. So, exactly. But not everybody has that, and and it gets a little confusing, and you see a lot of this argument and fighting on Facebook, and it's it's kind of fascinating for me at least to watch it. Um, because people sort of don't get that, what the interaction's all about, and they take it very personally in, 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 a, in a way that they might not have taken if they met the person on the street and that interaction happened. Right. So, okay, so we've got, you know, we've talked a little bit about the dangers of this. We talked about, you know, some of the the application. So we've got about 15 minutes left or so. What, can we talk a bit about how to um, how to use this media in, in a good and healthy way? And, and, and just for our listeners, I just want to one more time say that I am talking to Dan Newharth, who is a PhD who specializes in helping couples create more fulfilling relationships. And I assume you work with other people, but um, I have Dan on just because I, I actually heard a show uh, with him about narcissism, and, and I 
and I just wanted the opportunity to sort of talk more about this this field. So, you know, what is is there a format for what a healthy relationship is? Is there a model, not a format, but a model for what a healthy relationship is, or or a, a, is it that too broad? You mean like uh, Ward and June Cleaver from Leave It to Beaver? <laughs> yeah, just like, I don't want that. Yeah. Real. No. <laughs> I guess maybe yeah, there exactly. is. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I don't. You know, I don't. I don't know that there's a model. There are certainly a lot of characteristics that um, are more are, are more true in healthy relationships as opposed to unhealthy relationships. Um, I mean, obviously, the big three are um, love, honesty, and respect. I mean, I think you ha- to have an intimate relationship, all three have to be present. There has to obviously be love, there has to be honesty, and there has to be mutual respect. Now, that can look a lot of different ways, but those are, I think, the, in- the essential ingredients. So you could... Um... So uh, you could have a a decent sort of friendship or relationship online. I don't know if you could have a love relationship online, but I don't know. Maybe that that is true. But you would have to sort of be clear about what it is that you want or need in a relationship in order for that to work. Um. Well, I think yeah, I think that's that's helpful. Uh, um, <laughs> you know, when you say it's, I don't know if it's possible to have a love relationship online. I mean, people fall in love with actors and actresses from a movie screen, and they, for them, the love is completely real. It's it's also very one sided. Um, right. So, I think the 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 key is self awareness. I mean. Um, mm-hmm being aware of what you're looking for and what and, and knowing your one's own challenges as well as strengths and knowing your values and staying true to them and that's kind of cliched and it's not always easy to do but i think that's the key is to honor the values you have and have that be reflected in your relationships, whether it's a occasional Facebook friend or the person that you live with. Right. So, if, so if you're building um, these relationships online, um, do you, I mean, I guess it's perfectly fine to have sort of, is it to have a different set of standards or rules for yourself based on relationships that you have with people that you sort of meet and touch every day and and relationships that you may just have in this kind of virtual world. I, do you think there you would that would be possible? I mean, it's you know, in real life you may have an interaction that you may not want in a virtual world. Um well, I think that's true. But again, I still think that in either case, um, it's governed by whatever your values are. Um, you know, what's okay. okay? What do you need? Uh, what What do you 
care about and what do you want to provide? Mm-hmm. Right. So, so you you can establish. So I guess you know it's like when I I go I go back to sort of the pen pal thing, and then that sort of definitely dates me because I don't think there are many people that would even know what a pen pal is anymore. But <laughs> the idea that you could you could you could have these perfectly fine you know, cozy, warm friendships that are online, um, but they're maybe they're different than, say, the the person that takes you grocery shopping when you know you you are need a ride, or or the person that comes over for dinner or fixes your TV. So there, it's a different context in terms of that relationship, but it can it can have as much value for you depending on what you want out of it or what you expect from that relationship. Right. I mean, people can have very intense relationships who are pen pals, mm-hmm. who who right. who don't see each other physically. It can still be mm-hmm. a very meaningful relationship because it's a connection. It's a connection with another human being and we all want connection. We want healthy connections, and one of the advantages of technology is it lo- it allows for easier connections. Right. So, do you think that um, I know for me because I tend to be more introverted that I, I I find the virtual world is a is a is a kind of a, a decent safe place for me because I going out in public and being around a lot of people can get me a little tired and and all those kinds of things but online i'm perfectly fine like it's just i like interacting and it's fun and and it's enjoyable enjoyable for me so these so for somebody like me this is a good a good platform for for friendships and relationships because it doesn't wear me out and it doesn't require a lot of me that i may not be able to give in, in that same amount of time sort of in, in the real in the real touchy feely kind of world. So so basically it's I mean the the gist of what you're saying is that we we develop our relationships however they are based on the factors as you said, self awareness, what your values are, what you want, what you need and and, and how you kind of safely operate in the world. So for some people, this the virtual world or digital world isn't, isn't really good because they need that sort of physical eye contact kind of thing. But for other people, it's an, a, a healthy, safe place for, for them to be in and not as, you know, disturbing to them. Right. Right. And that, and that can be helpful. And the digital world is also... It's part of most real-life face-to-face relationships anyway. You know, yes. texting someone, hey, I'll, you know, meet you here or, or something like right. that. It's So it's it's really blended into pretty much all the relationships we have. Right. And I know, I know for me at least, and I, I've seen this with um, other people, is that it, it's opened up their worlds in some way because I, I'm – I'm connected with people, you know, through Facebook or, you know, Twitter or wherever I decide to land myself in a moment 
that I might not normally get to see. So my interactions really have expanded because in the course of a day, I meet, you know, I take, you know, I take a bus to work. I meet the people I meet at work and I come home and, you know, if I live alone, maybe I don't see anybody for the rest of the day, but because I've got this other world that I can go to, I have connections that are a little broader and more expansive than I might have previously when I just came home and watched TV and I had no one to interact with. So kind of it, the healthy part of it, I guess, is that it opens up people's world, worlds where they may not have had that opportunity to connect with somebody or it allows them to reconnect with people they may, not, uh, they may want to reconnect with. Right, and I think that that's a that that is a very good thing. I mean, if you are uh, if one is isolated and just has no uh, human contact in any form, it's for most people that's that's not healthy. That's not good, and we sort of atrophy in our our thoughts, including our inner critical thoughts, and distortions right. can loom bigger, and. Um, so I think that it's it, you know it's it's a very good thing to have that. Right. So it it so the 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 advantages of this sort of digital landscape are that we get to sort of maybe open up our horizons where we might have been more isolated before. I could see that you know if you're in a you know a, a remote part of you know the country, you know being able to connect online keeps you, you know, maybe a little bit more sane than if you're looking at, you know, nature 24-7. Though for some people, I know that's a beautiful thing, but Uh it may not be good for everyone, and it gives people some opportunity for some connection that maybe they they don't have. Uh Right. All right, so we've got just about, um, just a little, just about five minutes left. So what what else would you like to tell our listeners just about creating relationships or or just navigating this social media world? You know, I think that one of the things that we forget is that a, a lot of us really recall peak experiences we've had and great moments um with friends or when we you know, first fell in love with a partner and or a great um, a great outing, and those are all good. But I think that the the real um, the real quality of a relationship and connection and intimacy is really built more in these mini moments of connection. Day in, day out, you know, when you open the door for someone, when you, you know, offer to butter their, if you eat butter, (laughs) butter their bread. (laughs) If you, you know, just listen to someone who's had a bad day. Those aren't dramatic, but for most of us, most of the time, we are seeking to connect and there are so many ways in which we try and reach out and people reach out to us. And so I think it's important to recognize, um, I mean, one of the things I tell couples who are complaining um, about their partner is 
not that the complaints aren't legitimate, but tell your partner what you want, what not what you don't want. Because they're more likely to respond better and they can if they can give you that and they're willing, then you'll get what you want. And so I think it's just all about connection and in ways large and small that is the cement of relationships. And you have to nourish and um you know that's a that's a never ending process very good so um i do i would like you to just uh, i've been talking to dr dan newharth and i want you to tell our listeners again your books and and the sites that where they can find out more about the work that you do um The website they can go to is controllingparents.com, controllingparents.com, and that's the website for my book, If You Had Controlling Parents, and there are links from there to my professional therapy website and to the other book. And to the other book. So the the other book is Secrets Secrets You Keep keep From Yourself, How to Stop Sabotaging Your Happiness, which I'm sure we all could use. And I just, you know, want to thank you for coming on today and, and talking a little bit about this. I know this is sort of really sort of a, a, a new field for, for, for people, and, and we probably aren't going to know how this really affects us for, for a little while yet. But I thank you for, you know, sort of willing, being willing to talk about this a bit and sort of hash this out with me today and also for waiting patiently until I could get onto the show. That is oh, thank really you so much vital. for having me. Thank you. So um, I thank you to everybody for listening, and I hope you got something really good out of this. And, and go on Facebook and, and, and talk about things and, and what happened. And I, again, want to thank my guest, Dr. Dan Newharth, for coming on talking about how to create relationships in a digital world. And thank you once again for being on the show. It is really great fun to speak to people and find out what they're doing in the world. If you are interested in reaching out on air, online, or in person, let me show you how. I am partnered with some great people, some strategic thinkers, and consultants to bring you the best services available. Call me at 347-560-1624. Or email me at SandraLeeSchubert at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. for being on the show today. I hope you got something out of the conversation with Dr. Newharth. Um, it is indeed a new a new field for us to in, uh, to investigate. And, and as I said, I don't think we'll know really what will happen uh, with social media and how it will affect us um, until further down the line. So thank you again for joining me. Thank you for being patient through the first 10 minutes of 
technical difficulties, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.